Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, Jim Fryer, our managing editor, and Sharp Smith, our technology editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Our Q3 issue is in production and should be available soon. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. So a federal appeals court declined China Telecom's emergency bid to stop the FCC's order revoking the company's authority to provide telecom services in the United States. A three-judge panel of the U.S. Appeals Court for the District of Columbia rejected the bid by the U.S. arm of China Telecom to stay the order. That means the commission's decision takes effect in early January. China Telecom had said it must notify U.S. customers of the decision without a stay. The company said it would be forced to see significant operations irreparably harming its business, reputation, and relationships. The appeals court said it would issue a schedule to consider the legal arguments. So John and Jim, you both interviewed Vertical Bridge CEO Alex Gelman. Tell us about it, John. Uh, Yes, Leslie, we had an opportunity to spend some time uh, with uh, Alex discussing uh, his perspectives on the uh, infrastructure business and uh, the outlook for uh, the coming year. Um, uh, Vertical Bridge, as most, most people are aware, is the largest independent tower company in the United States, uh, having some 9,000 towers, as well as a lot of other assets for um, used for mounting uh, telecommunications equipment. <clears throat> he made it very clear uh, without uh, any hesitation that he considers the, um, uh, the tower business to, to be one of the best businesses ever. And that uh, the, um, the macro tower part of the business will will be where the focus is over the next few years. Um, We asked him about um, uh, building new sites and acquiring new sites. He didn't give us any numbers, but he did caution that companies now need to be careful about how they use their assets and the opportunities they pursue, uh, stating that they need to be more disciplined in what to accept and what sites to deploy. But he did acknowledge that uh, you know, they, there's a lot of activity going on with not only the 5G build, but certainly C-band over builds by Verizon and AT&T. And he pointed out that macro infill would take the bigger share of CapEx uh, for the next several years and that the shift to small cells won't happen for a few years until the, the macro network gets built out. Um, we talked a little bit about data centers and tower companies buying into data centers. And he, in his perspective, suggested that uh, the public tower companies uh, buying data centers poses challenge, challenges to their established business. And he cautioned that um, uh, it, it's not straightforward that uh, 
the tower business, the data center business has evolved typically from an inside out, meaning from existing data centers to the edge. But now with <clears throat> more applications uh, from the wireless side, we're looking at from the edge back into the, the center of the network. Um, he said that uh, public tower companies coming, uh, buying data centers are coming at it from a different angle. Uh, we, we also posed the question about uh, the possibility of the tower companies getting into leasing active gear like radios. Um, the business to date is really a passive infrastructure, but we're seeing certainly with open RAN more opportunities to, um, to potentially uh, own the radios and release them to the operators. But uh, he pointed out that it's a question of a closed versus open systems that the uh, big wireless carriers like AT&T and Verizon have built closed systems, uh, national networks that are proprietary, but very reliable. And we're starting to see a, a more open approach, for instance, with DISH using a, uh, uh, AWS for core functions. Um, uh, it's not clear to him uh, you know, where the future lies and, and what the, op the tower companies uh, could be um, comfortable with, but um, uh, it is an area that, um, that there is movement and, uh, um, and, and possibilities. And we also got into some uh, aspects of how they run their business. And Jim talked to him about uh, some of that. Jim? Yes, this was a wide ranging conversation we had and, and uh, we got into sustainability. And, and obviously uh, Alex was very proud of their record on that, that Vertical Bridge has been one of the uh, companies leading the charge on, on uh, becoming carbon neutral and, um, and on uh, general sustainability. Uh, uh, they are using a lot of different techniques, uh, using microgrids with wind turbines and solar power. And uh, Alex said they're targeting sites that, that rely on generators and they're trying to reduce that, that, uh, that, that carbon footprint that uh, the towers uh, generate. And uh, you mentioned having solar panels on the ground where they have excess space. <clears throat> and putting small wind turbines lower on the towers so they're less impacting on the capacity, but uh, and they can still utilize the tower for you know, full, full revenue needs and, and have multiple tenants on it. And uh, he's also uh, justifiably proud of their philanthropic endeavors, which uh, very recently they've uh, just uh, donated. Uh, these were the senior officers at, at Vertical Bridge uh, personally donated uh, about a million dollars to uh, a couple of uh, industry charities such as Warriors for Wireless, Tower Family Foundation. Um, and Alex said that they've always had a, a giving program uh, going all the way back to Global Tower Partners when I knew them way back when here in Philadelphia. And uh, But he said they have a, a strong social responsibility and a commitment to that. And they budgeted about 1% of their tower cash flow donations, which in 2021 came out to about $2 million. And that's uh, dictated by the employees and, and what they feel are the, uh, the causes that, that, that move them. So all in all, it was, it was, a, it was a good wide-ranging conversation with uh, Vertical Bridge and how they operate. Thank you, Jim. And that takes us into your next story. Yes, uh, the next story is, you know, these are the stories that um, we are – it is our bounden duty to, to report them, but it's always sad. Uh, there was another loss of life from a tower climber in the state of Washington. 
who fell 140 feet um, to his death. This was uh, last Saturday afternoon. Uh, the Sonomish County Fire District was there on the scene and pronounced the young man, 30 years old, uh, dead at the, at the scene. He was later identified as Michael Vasquez of Las Vegas. There's really not a lot of details about, about the accident. It's all being investigated. Um, and it was classified as an accident by the, by the county sheriff's office. But there will be uh, more investigations to come from, from OSHA. Uh, it was a Crown Castle Tower. And Crown Castle even issued a statement about their condolences of, of the accident. So that was uh, I mean, class move on their part. Thank you, Jim. The Senate voted 68 to 31 on FCC Chair Jessica Rosenworcel's nomination for a third five-year term at the agency, just weeks before she would have been required to leave. The official vote confirms her as the first woman to lead the agency. Remember, Commissioner Mignon Clyburn held the role of interim chair in 2013 for a few months between Julius Janikowski and Tom Wheeler. Um, the telecom industry praised her. Nate said um, throughout her tenure at the FCC, Chairwoman Rosenworcel has demonstrated sound leadership, a keen command of critical communications issues, and a firm commitment to preserving and expanding the nation's essential communications capabilities. The Wireless Infrastructure Association also lauded her service on the commission, calling her well-deserved well bipartisan confirmation, ensures that the FCC will remain in capable hands. And while that's good news, it does keep the agency still at a 2-2 vote on any critical issues. That's because some GOP lawmakers in Congress um, have hesitations about the other Democratic nominee, Gigi Sohn. She has yet to receive Senate confirmation. And we reported last week that the Senate Commerce Committee will not schedule her for a vote this upcoming week. And Sharp, that brings us to a 5G story from you. This story is uh, titled 5G energy use decreases with new technology and deployment techniques. It's based on an Ericsson Mobility report that uh, discusses, basically, it sort of answers a question a lot of people have raised as to whether uh, the new 5G technology is, uh, is uh, sustainable or not. And uh, one of the things that it points out is that uh, if you look at the radios themselves, they are uh, about 200% <clears throat> more uh, efficient than 4G radios. And, uh, and it goes into uh, why that is, which I thought was interesting, uh, that uh, the radios actually go into sleep mode whenever they're not transmitting. And uh, with uh, it's uh, all the software uh, type of thing. You can actually use soft, uh, similar software on, on 4G technology to make it more efficient. But uh, basically, if there's a pause in uh, transmission, it immediately goes into uh, sleep mode and is not using electricity. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. But if you also look at the fact that, uh, uh, you know, 
part of the expansion in, uh, in 5G energy usage really comes from the expansion of the, uh, of the uh, towers and the uh, fact that there's going to be a lot more of them and a lot more small cells that, you know, has to take more energy, right? Uh, so uh, the Ericsson Mobility Report went into how uh, the carriers can, can reduce their, their energy uh, use, even with the uh, uh, adding 5G, more 5G radios. And one of that is uh, using artificial intelligence to make sure that they're using uh, the least number of, uh, of, of towers possible to get the, uh, the uh, optimum coverage. Another thing is, is that uh, the, uh, the technology as far as antennas are concerned is, is improving uh, uh, quantumly. It talks about how uh, the latest massive MIMO uh, uh, antennas uh, actually are reducing energy consumption between 43% and 55%. And uh, it also talks a little bit about using renewable energy to, uh, to reduce uh, the, the energy use in 5G and uh, points out that Deutsche Telekom installed 39 square meter solar panels to uh, a mobile site in uh, Ditten, Germany uh, during the second half of 2020 and that uh, uh, lowered the, uh, the use of energy by about 14%. So uh, there are, uh, uh, it's a combination of the technology becoming uh, more, more efficient, but also our use of the technology has to also become more efficient. So uh, interesting things coming from the Ericsson Mobility Report. And Sharp, you also have a story to talk about on Huawei. Yeah, this uh, ties in a little bit with the earlier uh, uh, decision on, on uh, Huawei. Uh, uh, you would think that, you know, these things seem like they're in the rearview mirror, but uh, 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 Canada has spent basically three years thinking about whether it wanted to ban uh, Huawei uh, from uh, being involved with their 5G network. And, uh, and uh, so... Some people have looked at that and said, well, by delaying your, your decision by three years, you've made a de facto decision that they're not involved. However, during that time, uh, $700 million of uh, Huawei uh, equipment has made it into uh, Canada. So it's, uh, it's, it's been kind of a, a soft ban, if you will. Um, and it's the same thing that uh, the U.S. has uh, feared. They fear that the Chinese government uh, will... Uh, somehow use um, their relationship with Huawei and, uh, and the technology to, uh, to spy on the Canadians. And uh, all of this is being reported out by, uh, by the global, global news. Uh, the, uh, as far as, as, far as uh, Canada is concerned, they've, had, uh, they've, been, they've gotten involved with this, whether they wanted to or not, uh, because uh, the U.S., filed charges against uh, their CFO when she was in Canada. Her name is uh, Meng Wajou. And uh, 
she, so she got uh, sort of stuck in Canada trying to avoid extradition to the US. And um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the, uh, the news just came out that uh, the Department of Justice in the US has uh, uh, deferred prosecution charges against Meng until late 2022, at which point uh, they'll, the charges could be dropped. They'll think about it. So um, uh, until then, she has been allowed to return to, uh, to China. So she spent uh, three years uh, basically housebound in Canada. Hopefully she could work from home. Um, the, uh, uh, but the main gist of this story is uh, Beijing's am ambassador to, uh, to Canada has, has, has threatened uh, Canada with uh, uh, certain repercussions if they crack down on Huawei. So uh, it's, um, it's tense. It's just a part of the fabric between uh, the West and, uh, and China. And um, it just continues to, uh, to, to move in that, uh, that direction. Well, thank you, Sharp. So the Senate on Wednesday approved a resolution that would overturn President Joe Biden's COVID vaccine or test mandate for private businesses. The 52 to 48 vote sends the measure to the House where it faces an uphill climb and Biden has threatened to veto it. The legislation would overturn administration rules ordering businesses with 100 workers or more to require vaccinations or coronavirus testing for millions of employees. Two Senate, two Senate Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester of Montana joined 50 Republicans in voting for the legislation. Uh, Republicans have said they've been inundated with calls from businesses with up to 500 workers that are concerned with that, uh, concerned about having to fire employees who oppose the COVID vaccines and testing. Senator Mike Braun of Indiana introduced the legislation. He argued that Biden had no authority to impose the requirements. The White House said in a statement that employers would face no burden from the mandate because the vast majority of American adults are fully vaccinated. And it noted that the rule exempts small businesses. Biden's private business mandate has already been put on hold by a federal appeals court and a U.S. court judge in Georgia, in Georgia also blocked a Biden vaccine mandate aimed at federal contractors last week. And Sharp, you're going to wrap us up today with a story about AT&T. Today's article on, uh, on AT&T uh, talks about their uh, their view of what's going to go on in mid-2022. Um, basically, uh, John Stanky uh, spoke at the UBS telecom uh, conference uh, earlier this week and uh, discussed really what, uh, what, what he sees as uh, kind of a, a breakthrough for, uh, for the carrier. Uh, you know, they've been, they've been very busy uh, restructuring their asset base, uh, both in AT&T Communications and also Warner Media, which is being merged with Discovery and also spinning DirecTV. So he's really been very busy trying to 
reshape the uh, the the company. And uh, so he mentioned that the company was they're about halfway through their six billion dollar uh, effort to cut costs. And uh, so using the math, uh, I figure they got about three billion uh, more to cut in the next uh, year, and. Uh, They'll be re continue to uh, to work on the restructuring of Warner Media till about the at the end of the first half. So he said, you know, with that said, he believes uh, the the company will be uh, uh, really able to focus on moving forward around mid year, and uh, so I think that's that's good news for for the uh, for the infrastructure industry that uh, in these distractions and, uh, you know, in investment uh, uh, issues that they've had are um, seemingly going to go away and, uh, and they can uh, focus more on, uh, on 5G and, uh, and maybe get uh, C-band uh, working if, uh, if everything goes well in other areas. So, all in all, I think it's uh, it's good news from uh, from AT and T. Thank you, Sharp. That wraps us up for the week. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.